Well, good morning. I bring greetings from Providence Reformed Baptist Church in Barragup, West Australia. I am thankful to Pastor Paul and for the elders for inviting me once again. I can't recall if I came here during COVID. Um, if I hadn't been here since then, it's been two years or over two years. Uh, and there you have it. And here I am. Not sure if it's a good thing for you, but uh, nevertheless, the Lord does work in mysterious ways. Before I pray, I do have a process that I go through before preaching and I also like to read God's word as well. If you would indulge me, I might do the same right now and then I will pray. Is that all right? I'm going to read the same passage we just saw, probably from a better translation, the ESV. Just kidding. Uh, Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. His inerrant and infallible, beautiful words. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord and thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I ask that your word, that will cut deep, Lord. I don't ask for wishy-washy doctrine, Lord. I ask, Spirit, that you would show yourself in power and your presence. And that through your word, O oh Lord, we may see you, Jesus. That we won't have intellectual belief. That we won't just look up and have cognitive understanding. But that we would understand with our hearts. And Spirit, that you would incline our will. So that although we may profess to know you, Jesus, our lives will be witness to it. Oh Lord, the cutting deep. You know my heart, so you know what I mean, but let me articulate it. That if I'm a hypocrite, oh Lord, I would prefer now to be buckled down, bent over, 
in your worship now than in the day of judgment. So my Lord, let yourself be real to us and your word transformative. Help us to see the purpose of living. Our humanity is something that you have decreed before the world began. That Father, you conspired with the Son in the Spirit in eternity past to create a universe to display your manifold wisdom to all creation. Bless this sermon, Lord, and allow only truth to be heard and any error and falsehood that they would fall on deaf ears. To your great name, Jesus, I ask this. Amen. Last week was Mother's Day. I think society should uh, spare a few consolatory moments for, for us men. How hard is it for us men to buy gifts for our wives, especially on Mother's Day? Now, I've been married for the better part of 19 years. Some 16 of those I've had to buy gifts for my wife on Mother's Day. And let me tell you, it's a tough gig. Some of you men may be more in tune with your wives than I and don't find it much of a drama. But I always found the line, you know, the line between a gift and an instrument for chores somewhat blurred. You know, when, when is a gift a gift and when is a gift really an instrument for work masquerading as a gift? Uh, for example, is it okay to gift our mums, our wives, our bride a vacuum cleaner during Mother's Day? What about a, a, a toilet brush or, or dishwashing gloves? So you, so you see what I mean? What does the message send to our poor bride? Here is a gift, but it's also an instrument to get you working. Can you see my problem? Gift giving to our brides is a tough gig. And so I, I bet that Marilyn Monroe, when she, was, she made that statement, I believe that she was quoting a man when she said diamonds are a girl's best friend because it took man a millennia since Adam gifted Eve with his rib so she could work alongside him. It took him a millennia to realise that women want gifts that sparkle, that makes them look good. I shouldn't have said it like that because I know my wife will be listening. Women desire to have gifts that look good on them. So you know what I learned a long time ago? I, I, I let my wife choose her own gifts. Now I know you're already looking at me and starting to judge me and you're thinking what's the meaning to all that? There's no meaning letting her choose her own gifts. But the reason is because I have a problem with my gift giving, you see. I just can't seem to give the right gifts my gifts are sometimes viewed with subterfuge. Uh, what does Wally mean by giving me this gift? Does he want me to vacuum more, to, to, to clean more, to wash more? But you know what I also found out? That most of the gifts that my wife buys herself, <laughs> in, in fact, usually the gifts we, we gift ourselves tend to be a little selfish. Now, self-gift-giving self is not really suited to be shared. You know, if, if my wife buys herself diamond earrings, 
as though she ever would, because I wouldn't allow it. But if she would buy herself diamond earrings, sure they may look good on her, but they can't really be shared. Therefore, her ears only, you see. And if I was to gift myself a new iPhone, the latest iPhone, it's not for you, it's for me, it's for my personal use. And these self-giving gifts, I have to say, these self-giving gifts, I've got to say, they they don't do too much to beautify the insides of our souls. These self-giving gifts don't, they don't, they don't lead to transform our essence. I don't think they work towards, that is, these gifts that we give ourselves, they, they don't work or do it, they do very little to affect us to the core of being human. They seem somewhat superficial gifts. So there's my problem, the, the gift giving is not easy. Meaningful gifts, uh, however, I would argue, are transformative. They affect us to the very core of being human. They do not merely touch the surface of our lives, but they penetrate. They penetrate to the deeper recesses on what it means to be human, to be alive, to come inside us, true gifts, they they well within and then they well without. Now that's a gift. Hence desirable gifts, I propose, are those that are meaningful by, by how they affect our very existence, but also stand the test of time. The, the best gifts are those gifts that, that we can use all the time for all time. They raise our affections and produce indiscriminate joy. And what better gift is there that not only looks good on you and me personally, but those that we can share in making others look good? Who gives those kind of gifts? You can start to see, I can't trust myself with gift giving because I just don't know what is most suited for my bride. And you know what else? I, I can't trust my bride either because like me, she will want to be self-pampering, self-promoting. Left to ourselves, our, our gift giving, is, it, it can be superficial. And our gifts, whether to others or to ourselves, they seldom penetrate to the very core of living, of, of, of being human. But, but what if, what if I knew exactly what you as a person is purposed to do and be on this earth. Think about it. Just think about it. What if I knew what is your sole purpose of being human and I gave you a gift that complemented your purpose for being human? Now, wouldn't that be a gift? In fact, if we received gifts that intended to make us complete, full and whole, fortified, unwavering, stable, mature and satisfied by love. Think about that last point for a moment. Who here is satisfied, content in the present? 
that will transform our very being, our, our very core of being human. Wouldn't they be worthwhile gifts? And what if we received gifts that ended up being instruments for work for this transformed humanity? Did you hear that? What then, if we knew exactly what my purpose on this world and this earth is, and I got a gift that helped me complement my very purpose of existence, wouldn't that be a, a cool gift? It, but it's a gift for working, even, even that, wouldn't that be a gift? Would we still consider these gifts as instruments for chores or would we receive them as the, the best gifts? Those that not only look good on me, but that we could share them with others to make others look good as well. I guess what I'm getting at, is it possible that this gift giving could be used as instruments for your very purpose to make a glorified humanity? I wonder if you've heard that God through Christ Jesus gives humanity and in particular his people, his church, those whom he calls his bride with an abundance of gifts to work. But those working gifts aren't merely for chores. These, these gifts equips the church for every purpose she exists, for the very purpose that she exists, Christ Jesus gives men. And when the church, the bride of Christ, receives these gifts and uses them for the work of the ministry, the church itself, the bride of Christ, that is you and me, if you didn't know, are also transformed and conformed and affected to the very core of our existence, to our very, to our very purpose of being human. When the church receives Christ's gifts and adorns Christ, and his glory, she's in the process of being a glorified humanity. There is no greater diamond that refracts beauty more than the gifts of Christ. Will you, will you allow me to share this truth by directing you to the, the gift giver? And let us see if we can receive his gifts, that we may participate in the transformation of our lives. And together as the church, we may display the manifold wisdom of God. Look how Paul introduces the gift giver in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See that but there? That is a transitional conjunction. And it's, a, it's a way of contrasting a thought, but here Paul is using it to progress a train of thought. You see, for the previous six verses, the apostle has been speaking about the, purpose, the purposed unity of a called group of people, an elect people, if you will. You can see it in the sevenfold use of the word one. In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says, walk. He exhorts us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I know many of you standing or sitting here right now will be thinking you may be called. But if you're reading anything that I'm reading right now, there is an imperative here. If you're called, ask yourself now, let's do this, let's make this real, rather than just a preacher preaching some theory. 
right now, in your mind, I'll give you five seconds, are you called? Answer that. Are you part of God's called people? So then if you're called, Paul says, live like this. It's what you have been called to do. It's the purpose of your lives, and there it is. I'm coming full circle with my illustration. It's the purpose of your lives, Paul says. He goes on to say, and walk in an eagerness for unity. That's verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, be keen, strive, go hard for unity, for oneness. And then there's the foundation for the unity in verses 4 to 6 in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about it like this. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called, and there it is again, we cannot escape this calling, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul has been underscoring the importance of unity, of oneness. Interestingly, Paul addresses this unity with a diversity of influences. Did you catch catch that? One body, so he's using the metaphor of a body for the unity of a people. One hope, one faith, one baptism. It's what unites this called out group of people. What is also striking, if you haven't seen it before, is how Paul emphasises oneness in relation to the diversity of the persons within our triune God. One Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. They are all one, together, united, like a body. That's the people in Ephesus. But one in the one Spirit, Lord and Father. In other words, be eager to maintain unity, the oneness in the body, just like one Father, one Lord, one Spirit, one God, Yahweh. Do you see the illustration there? Be one. Be one, Liverpool. Be united because your God is one Father, Son, Spirit is one. So you likewise, as a body, be one, united. You are to be united with each other Unity in diversity. Which brings us to our but in verse 7. As a transitional movement of thought, not a complete change of the subject, but, but new additional information. From an emphasis on the oneness, a unity as a collective, to an emphasis on the diversity that unites. See how Paul in verse 7 now addresses each one of us, the individual, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The church is united as a collective one, yes. However, our unity is made up of diverse individuals. And Paul informs the Ephesians that that we have all received grace. Here the the meaning of grace is not the meaning in a salvific sense, but in the beneficence of God, 
In other words, post-salvation or in salvation. Now that you are saved, there's grace that continues to come. God's blessings to those who are already saved. And you need to understand that when you read God's word because therefore Paul is speaking to the redeemed. He's not speaking to the world. He's not speaking to your mate at the pub or at work. Your unbelieving family member. The person that says they're a Christian but barely cracks the Bible comes to the church, what, twice a year? No, this is, this is for you. The church. The called. Those who belong to the church of Christ. His body. His bride. And each one of us it has, he says it has a, has a measured gift, which means we, we measured gift to each one according to Christ. But you know what that means? It means that we don't all, ha- all have the same gift, nor the same portion or intensification of grace. You know how in the world they tell us that every kid gets a trophy? You play a sport, oh, there's no best and fairest. Everyone gets the same, not with God. Everyone comes to salvation who asks Jesus as their substitutionary atonement to be their own and there's a great exchange of my sin to Christ and his righteousness to me. He takes that, but then in salvation, the intensification of God's love is more or less. It's love, but there's an intensity drawn near to God and he shall draw near to you. But when you sin, it feels like you're the psalmist saying, Where are you, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you be absent? You see, his intensification comes when you are with him and you can feel it. Sometimes you taste it, but your heart knows it. But when you are nowhere near him, this is just there. You get it. You can articulate it. You can talk about the five solas. But is he with you? You see, that's what we're seeing here, that that we don't all have the same gift, nor the same portion of the gift, or the intensification of grace. Yet all receive post-salvation grace. That means that we're still getting some from Christ Jesus. We receive his gifts and we are, we are to apply them to our life. And I, I want to bring your attention, therefore, that, to show you that, you that it's Christ that gives gifts. We don't demand them or take them. Nor do we actually follow a certain path. Now, I've got to be very careful here because I'm sure you know that I am reformed and I am a cessationist. But I've had many people say to me, hey, you want to be a, a closer person with God? You can do X, Y, Z, but to do X, Y, Z in a spiritual way, you need to learn this Y, y and Z. Practice that, you'll get this. That's not what's here. Christ gives gifts. I find that evangelicals sometimes misunderstand the gifts of Christ to his church. And I don't blame us necessarily because in this modern age some of, some of us have come to believe in Christ's gifts for our self-promotion or pampering. We think that, oh, I came in Christ now. He's going to look after me. In, oh, he's going he's to give me success, jewels, a great job. 
I'm always going to be content. Big house. We see what the world desires and then we assume it's what Christ will gift his bride. Or we assume it's what we need. After all, what other purpose is there for living? And so we create and we, we fuel false expectations. We look for these diamonds and prosperity, fame and fortune. There is some truth to that, that God will give us that. However, the way that we understand God's blessings ultimately will be in an impending future. But this is also part of what Paul has been speaking. This is part of our calling, a hope in a future glory. Moreover, Christ gifts do not derive value by worldly scales. Christ's gifts have ultimate purpose in transforming our very core in being human. I hope you can start finding these categories that I'm talking about. Let me go on because I'm actually gone on about a 10 minute tangent. That's why these gifts have more to do that we're looking at with the ordinary means that are shared amongst church people rather than the unbiblical, spectacular, charismatic, personal gifts that many wrongfully seek. In other words, the gifts here is a manifestation of grace to all the church for the church, not not for some specially chosen supernatural, but to all. See, in verse 8, Paul says that these gifts are given to men. You may not like what what the Christ offers. You may look at his gifts and see nothing that interests you. And dare I say, you think that way because you are yet to come to grips with the purpose of your life. Why are you here? Seriously. Why are you even in this hall? To be entertained? By me? Because you like the music. It's just like a group. Just like like a, a club. Why are you here? Unless there's something to do with the very core of existence that really affects my life. So it's to those who understand this, that have ears to hear and eyes to see that I am speaking to through God's word in Ephesians. We're sometimes discouraged and sometimes doubting God's future rewards because we lack present ones. It's that moment that you have to shake up your senses and wake yourself up to pray to God to allow you to see and recognise the gifts that he has for you now. The reason why we struggle with passages like this is because we disassociate the spirit and the body. We think that if I, if I get close to God, something's got to happen with my spirit apart from my body, but that's not what life is about in Christ. James 2.26 tells us, For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. In other words, what he's saying is, you see, when we're dead and the spirit is gone and to be with Jesus and our body's down, that's not humanity. You've got to be spirit and body together. And just like that, your faith is coupled with your works. Your faith is the witness, is witnessed by what you do in this world. God sanctifies us through what we do and what 
we apply and how we live. And so you see the church has been gifted by Christ with heavenly gifts for our whole selves. Maybe we need to keep on reading to help us recognise these gifts. See in verse 8, Ephesians 4, 8, it says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He refers back to Christ, the gift giver in verse 7. And don't be put off by that word men, as though it's some kind of sexist language. In the original it's inclusive. It means Christ gave gifts to men and women. That said, this gift giving is also the outcome of the king's conquest. Look for the majesty of the king in that verse. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. See how it says he ascended, when he ascended? This refers to Jesus' conquest and victory post-resurrection and his ascension and return to heaven. And then the following two verses of chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, is the scene that helps us contemplate his ascension. So he explains it somewhat. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who ascended, excuse me, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul is referring to the descent of Christ, not to the lower regions of hell in his crucifixion and death, as some come to believe. But this is referring to his initial condescension in his incarnation. See the contrast in verse 10? He who descended, so he came down from heaven, is the one who also ascended far above the heavens. That is a quote from Psalm 68, which we read in the call to service. Psalm 68 is about the conquering king seen as the divine Yahweh. In Psalm 68, 18 it says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. You need to understand that because what is going on now, especially if you have Jehovah's Witness friends, is that Paul understands a psalm referring to Yahweh, and as they would say, Jehovah, now fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son. He is the one that is now fulfilling this conquest. He sees it fulfilled in Christ. And there are two realities, and quite cosmic, that I bring to your minds about this. Please don't skip over these verses as though they're too hard to read or so, so tricky. My mic is falling apart. One thing that you must not overlook. I think I broke it. Is the marvel that the eternal Son of God, the Christ, seen in Jesus of Nazareth was pre-existent. The Son of God came to this earth. He descended. Have you ever thought about that before? The Bible tells us this thing, these things. God, the Son, descended first and he came. 
This world, this creation, is what a being who has allowed us to call him Yahweh has created to display his power and perfections. Have you thought of it like that as well? Apart from our existence, there is a being called Yahweh and he conspires with his son and amidst his spirit and says, how do we declare our perfections? And they said, let there be light. And that son, part of that conspiration, that, cons- that conspired, comes into his own creation. It is mind-boggling. Christianity is not dull and boring. It is, if you think it is, it's because you're not thinking this through. It's on the stage of the universe that God reveals himself as glorious. He comes into his own creation to show his power and perfections by killing death and giving life to anyone that will believe that he exists. That's what this world is about. That's why you're here. And many of you hear it and say, I reject it. That will be up to the Lord. But some of you should be rising in your soul saying, that's my purpose, to be his child, to be his representative. I was born to show his glory. I get overworked about this stuff. And I don't know why not many reformed people say amen anymore. Christ is the one who ascended far above the heavens is the other point we must look for. That last point stresses the source of Christ's gift. is from a place that comes from a, a place that you and I can't even think of, above the heavens' heavens. What does that mean? And additionally, the position of Jesus is one of insurmountable majesty. He's come, Jesus has come and conquered. And now we have the apostle describing this scenario, how he ascended. And, and as he ascended, he, he has this trail of captives, a host of captives. In other words, Jesus has come, he's been triumphant, and behind him he's rescued these people that are following up into the heavens. It's by his life and his work and his death and his resurrection and ascension that the victorious Christ leads those who were once captive to sin. You do remember the time that you were captive to sin and Satan? Jesus has released you from that. I bring you the attention to this condescension first, to then the ascension, to make you realise that your life can look something similar. Sacrifice comes before glory. Humiliation before honour. The crucifixion before conquering. But it is from this triumph that Jesus now bestows. It's from this position that Paul has set it all up. He's got it all together now and I'm moving along as well. He's got it all set up to then. He says, now he gives you gifts. Now he gives you. So what are the gifts? And amazingly, Christ gives, look at that, verse 11. He gives people to people. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, gifts of the, the messengers and the proclaimers of God's divine truth revealed in his word. Gospel preachers, the pastors and the teachers guiding and caring for the flock of Christ. These are the, the, the roles within the church as gifts given by Christ. You see the apostles and the, the prophets, they're the early leaders with, by which the church was founded upon. 
you do realize that there was a time that the Bible was not written. So how does God communicate with his people? Well, he doesn't say, well, go to First Peter. He first sends them prophets and they speak through him and say, thus saith the Lord. After them come the apostles, which are the messengers chosen for Christ himself. They lay the foundation of the church. And through the prophets and the apostles, they lay a foundation. And once they pass on, what is left for us is God's word writ. And then you have the evangelicals, the evangelists, that go around preaching the gospel of the good news. And to help people understand God and open up his word, you have the teachers, the pastors, the shepherds, the guide and care for those in the pew. That's the gift that he gives. We also remember, and I I say this as humbly as I can, lest I ruffle feathers, that the office of prophet, as understood as anyone that speaks from God in a manner of thus saith the Lord, is over. The office of prophet no longer exists. Unless you say, thus saith the Lord, and then quote the Bible. The office of the apostle, as understood as one of the twelve chosen, or one who was directly called by Jesus himself and saw him, that office of apostle is now over as well. Unless you call yourself a lower A apostle, lower M, as in a messenger of Christ. So what remains is the evangelist, for us evangelicals, and the pastor teacher. So don't miss the point right here. Because as soon as some people see the word gift from Jesus, they take it to mean something like a paranormal gift, some spiritual gift. Here the gifts are people. Christ gives people to people. And look at the purpose for this gift. Verse 12, to, what for? What for we ask Paul? He says, Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry, Jesus is gifting me something to work. To apply, to put into practice. For building up the body of Christ. Let me run down quickly as I follow the logic. Verse 7, in Christ bestows his grace through gifts. Each individual has a gift. Verse 8, these gifts are given by the conquering king to both men and women. Verse 9, it's the rehearsal of the king who, and his accomplishment. And then verse 10, what are the gifts? Well, people in particular, the officers of the church. And what for? Verse 12 now, to equip the saints. That's all of us in the church to be prepared. What for? Look at it yourselves. For the work of the ministry for the building up and look at it, the building up of what? the body of Christ, once again the metaphor Christ bestows gifts on us to work is that part of your current theology? that, oh Jesus thank you for the gift so I can get my hands dirty now or are you more like Jesus Thank you for the gift that I can now just use in my private time, personally, just with you. Is that how you're looking at it? Because that's not what's being said here. Christ bestows gifts to, and on us to work. But Jesus gives gifts, not, not like I do with my wife. 
He doesn't, he, he doesn't give gifts and I, and I look at him and say, oh, oh wow, thank you Jesus, they're the instruments to work at masquerading as gifts. Look what these gifts are for. What good are these gifts if they're really just instruments to do more chores or more work? Verses 13 to 15 now. Let me read it. What good are these gifts of people for people? He says, for what? Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's that unity again. Oneness in faith and knowledge of Christ. Okay, that's good, but what else? What else comes from this, he says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I understand the Bible can be so confusing and it's just gobbledygook, but that word mature... If you do some research, and you can use some software out there, but just let me tell you, the word is called telos. It's the end game. It's the final product. God's saying that he's giving us gifts to make us ripe, to get us to the end game of being human, to mature manhood. See how it says it like that? Then we ask, but what kind of of end game for humanity? What what standard is the gift to the church taking us to, verse 13, to mature manhood, to the measure, there's the standard, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the the measure or the standard, the stature, is to the fullness of Christ. You see what's going on here? I hope you can. I'm I'm not sure I'm I'm good with it, but he's saying we have been gifted with everything that we need. All of us, people, are gifted to people so then that we may be taught and built up for the work to get us to a standard of perfect humanity, to the mature manhood. And what does that look like? Jesus Christ. You've been moved to the God man, the true man we're following him what for? it is so then we can be the Imago Day, the image bearers of Jesus Christ, of God we were created for that that's what our purpose in life is for and so that's why in verse 14 he then contrasts this ripening and this maturing with an infant so that we may no longer be Children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. I don't know if you're alive in this world at the moment. Are you paying attention to what's going on in the States and Australia, especially how they want to teach our children critical race theory? Anyone know about that? Well, you should study that. Intersectionality. They want to teach that to our children. We as Christians need to know about that and and be wary about that. No longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Watch out by how they're using the LBGTQI plus movement, the pressures put on people, the social justice influences that we have in invading evangelicalism. Are you aware of that? you You must be aware of the prosperity gospel. Is that true doctrine? The word of faith. We need to be firm, mature. And the only way that we can see this is happening is because Jesus, in our salvation, leading us as in, his, in his trail as those released, is gifting us with people to teach us to be aware, to grow us, to remain, to remain firm. And then so Paul says... In verse 15, rather speaking the truth, speak truth in love. 
And there we go, we are to grow up in every way. Grow up. Right, in just any way. Into him. How? Who? He's the head into Christ. And it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. Do you see what's going on here with these gifts? Ultimate end is maturity. To the measure and the fullness of Christ, grow up, Liverpool. Grow up. You know how you, you know how you know you're growing up when you know what the text is going to be on Sunday before Pastor Paul preaches. You handle it by yourself. You start looking at it and saying, "Jesus, was that me?" And the Spirit says, "Look." And inside you start seeing things that you never saw before. And then on Sundays, Pastor Paul preaches affirmation and you grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if you're not reading God's word or praying in his name, there's no transformative power working on you. You'll always be infants, tossed to and fro. But when we are working together, see that? Together, when, when, when the whole body, whole body joining all together by every joint, when it's equipped and working together, it grows. It comes to us. What a waste of a human life that which does not avail themselves of Christ's gift to men. How can anyone receive this gift then? Well, I've got to restate what I just said. This particular gift and gifts are for the church. How can anyone receive of the gift of the evangelist and pastor if they never hear the evangelist or the pastor? I don't know. And so now I ask you, as we finished looking at this pericope, do you believe Christ's gifts his church in this manner? Do you believe that Christ gifts his church by giving people to people? If so, allow me a moment of boldness. I'm an elder, a pastor, a teacher, I'm also an evangelist, one who proclaims the good news of God's word to you and others. I'm also a prophet in so much as I proclaim the oracles of God as I read them from his word. And I'm doing it with you. So, I am a gift from Christ to you. I know many of you may want to keep the receipt and probably exchange me for another gift, and I, that's okay, but, but nevertheless, Christ has gifted me to you. I ask you that you would receive me as a gift. But I would say, more importantly, receive your pastor, Paul Mosechuk, who labours over you, prays over you, studies God's word for you, and himself going through some terrible trials of life. He's your gift. He's your gift. Take him. It's what you need as a gift 
to become equipped for the work of the ministry and work. Do something. Be a worker that fertilizes people to grow up and not tear down. To be one. To be united as the body of Christ and not to divide. So do you believe this? No one. Not even a hand. But if you believe this, then you must believe, beloved, that you are a gift to the person sitting right next to you. Now I know you're all avoiding turning your heads, but you're probably straining your eyeballs to see who's sitting next to you and some of you and some of you are going, oh, no, 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 they're not my gift. But really you should look at the person right next to you square in the eye and understand that firstly you are a gift to them. Because they're doing the same thing to you. Can you see this marvellous truth unpacking coming out? We evangelicals get so hung up on conversion. Wally, when you come to preach, preach the gospel. Amen. But this is not God's purpose necessarily here. Christ's purpose here in the gifting is to grow his church, is to actually grow the converted. And we get sometimes misdirected. You need to grow. Sure, you can be an evangelical and talk about the steps to salvation, but are you growing? We need some strong Christians coming up. There's an election coming soon if you weren't aware. We need some strong Christians, intellectual Christians, fortified Christians. Even if you're the dumbest Christian of all, and I am pretty close to one of those, at least be firm in what you believe. Can you see what God is doing to his church? Can you see what he's doing? I'm not sure if you can see. He's beautifying his chosen people. I need a lot of beautifying. And he's doing it with us. His chosen people, his prized possession, his elect in his son. He's displaying us to the heavenly realm. We who are already saved. He's doing that. He's, he's, he's sa- he saves us and he doesn't leave us like that. He molds us and beautifies us. Christ hasn't finished his work in you or me or us. We have barely walked into the kingdom of God. And so now Christ is perfecting us. He's trying to bring us to maturity. Stop being infants, grow strong. And the reason why, as you would have seen in chapter 3 when you went through it, is one day God the Father, speaking through his Son, will look at the church beautified and glorified, the perfect humanity, and say, I did this. And every knee, whether in heaven or earth or under earth, will bow the knee and say, Jesus is king. That's what he's doing with you. With me. This is the purpose of your life. It's why you were created. 
to bear the image of God, to be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, what a shame, what a shame. My heart breaks for the man or woman who does not participate in church when they know that this is the purpose of life, that they may be a gift, but without the church they are just self-giving. Everything they do on this earth is temporary and inadequate to make them whole. There's no meaning to it. But the man or woman who belongs to church, to Christ's body, well, you and that's you and me, we're, we, we're gifts to one another. This is the purpose of our life. It's the purpose of your calling. Remember the question. Are you called? Then this is for you. To be given to your neighbour, to build them up, to perfection, in love, so they, they will be beautified before God and the witnessing universe. Now you may know that your purpose is to beautify your neighbour and, and you and I do it by working to build the, the church, the people of God, with whatever gifts we have. But I ask you, what gifts are you going to seek now? What gifts really matter now before Jesus when you know the purpose of your life? Will you not find the gift that is an instrument for work in the mission of Christ the best now? Well, then you need to look around and look around you now because Christ has gifted you with the best gifts here. Allow me to pray. My Lord, Help us to comprehend that we were created in your image to reflect who you are to the watching universe. And Lord, if that is the purpose of our life and our existence, Jesus, I ask that you would fulfill your promise and that you would gift people to people. It's the gift I want, my Lord. Grow us, mature us, not to half measures or the measure of a man, but to the measure and stature in the fullness of you. To your great glory, I pray. Amen.